Even strangers, I think it was someone once that said we were, we asked you to clear our hearts with the clutter, clear our minds with the clutter, and let us be really immersed in what you have in store for us today, Lord. Don't let all of the mess and loudness of every day cloud who we are. Lord, you are so much bigger than all of that, and we forget that so often. Um, so just be with us this morning um, as we come together and worship you together, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, if you ever your Bible, turn to um, Bible, phone app, whatever it is, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 23. Um, two weeks left this week and next week's our last um, week and weeks in this series that we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 23, talking about the hypocrisy of, uh, of the Pharisees and the things that are going on in, in their lives and, and um, how... Uh, this passage of scripture, this this sermon, Jesus' last public sermon to, to the masses, how it, it's a warning to, to us as well as a warning uh, to the, the Pharisees. And so what I want to do this morning in, in conjunction or in um, lieu of a normal introduction is I want to spend just a moment going over uh, the, the previous uh, few woes that we've looked at over the last few weeks for, for those who are uh, have missed or have missed what's going on. And, and starting back in, in verse uh, 13 uh, of this chapter, Jesus begins uh, with, with the uh, first of seven woes. Uh, that is warnings. Those are things is, is you're doing this and, and this is what's going on in your heart uh, and you need to change it. Jesus is pronouncing that to, to the Pharisees uh, and, and to the masses that are standing there. He's called the Pharisees hypocrites um, multiple, multiple times. Uh, we, we need to be warned and, and reminded of that. And so in, in verse 13 and 14, uh, Jesus says this about, about the, the Pharisees. They shut the door of the kingdom of God to people. Uh, they, they are so driven by a, a false religion that they actually shut the door of the kingdom of, of God uh, and, and people are not able to walk into the kingdom of God. The weight of the things that they are sharing and doing is is impossible to carry. As a matter of fact, it is uh, unbiblical what they are saying needs to be done. They again, remember, they take the Old Testament law and they they expound on it and, and, and they make it um, even more uh, unbearable than what it is. As a matter of fact, how many of you actually can keep the Old Testament law as it is written? Nobody, and so if we expound on that, it makes it even what more impossible to to, to keep, and so that's what what's going on. So in that, there is grace all over the Old Testament law. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament law is to remind us of the goodness and grace of God, and here's how He does it: He gives us the law. He gives the the Israelites a, the law to show them they are unholy and unworthy. But he is good and provides a way of salvation for them and, and to them. And so in the law, the law is not a, a place where it is uh, without grace. Because there is grace in the law because God gives it to the people to show them who they really are. Isaiah sees that in Isaiah chapter 6. He, the reason he knows that he is sinful and that God is holy is because of the law that God had given them. 
And so in verse 13 and 14, we see that they shut the door of the kingdom of God to people. In, in verse 15, uh, they work hard at conver uh, converting people to religion, not to the word of God and not to the kingdom of God. In verse 15, it talks about that, that they go from a travel across the land and across the sea to make one convert, and in making that convert, they are twice as fit for hell as they would have been because not only now have they worked on them, but they have converted them to a religious Judaism that they cannot even keep themselves. And so the deeper you go into something, uh, the more... It is, more difficult it is to come out of that. I, I'll give you an example of that, and I gave an example of this when we come to this passage. My aunt, my mom's sister, is involved in uh, the, the uh, Vine Street community, or better now known as the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. If you've ever been down to um, the Yellow Deli, that's those guys. It is a works-based salvation, and the more you dive into that, the deeper it you get, the more difficult it is to come out of it. Same thing getting into Mormonism. The deeper you get into something, the more difficult it is to get out of it because your brain becomes attached to it. You can't separate yourself. My mom's other sister, um, who is a believer in Christ, and, and my aunt who's involved in that, have been interacting through emails. And in that, you can see... That, that where my aunt who's involved in this is just so deep that even when confronted with the word of God there is rejection of the word of God and so that's what they were doing they, they were they were just converting people to this and then in verses 16 through 22 um, they, they they have the weight of commitments they 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 talk about commitments it's it's on the altar or no, it's against the temple or, or it's against the gift, but it's against these other things. It's the gold versus the temple, the, the gift versus the altar. And what they were doing is this. They were saying, uh, my commitments are weighed upon the value of something. And so, so they would weigh their commitment level. And so if I didn't want to be committed to something, I would give a, a vow and make it on something that I could, could break the commitment. And I wouldn't worry about it. And so what they were, they were doing is they were weighing their commitments. And they were saying, well, we're really not committed to something. And I made the statement that week that, that this, that ultimately all of our commitments as believers in Christ are first to Jesus Christ. And then when we break any kind of commitment, a commitment to a friend, a brother, a sister, a, a husband, a wife, a kid, ultimately to break that commitment with them, we break our commitment with Christ Jesus. And in that allows us to break those kind of commitments to, to others. As a matter of fact, after that week, I got a, a message from someone who said, I am no longer going to, uh, I'm going to weigh the, what commitments I make because you made me realize that all my commitments are in Christ Jesus. And my response there is, you have just made a commitment. And so you, you realize that you are now committed to Christ Jesus. And as a believer in Christ, you have to be. You have to be committed and so our relationships are commitment, yes, to each other, but to Christ Jesus. And so guess what happens when a brother and sister fall away from each other? The falling away happens because we are falling away from Christ. Because if, if I'm in Christ, I'm focused on Christ, guess what happens? 
when my brother and sister sins against me or sins against somebody else or does something that offends me, I am like Christ. And that is I become even more gracious to them because that's what Christ does. Christ never walks away from us. We what? Always walk away from, from him. And so they were weighing their commitments. Next, in verse 23 and 24, they majored on the minors and neglected the most important thing. We talked about that last week. They, 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 they worked on, they looked at, the, we talked about uh, in here in the passage, talked about the tie, they took the mint, the deal, and those kind of things. And talked last week about actually mint, dill, and, and cumin were, were actually uh, household herbs. They were not considered um, garden or um, produce kind of things. And so because they were not considered produce, the, the law did not actually apply to, t to tithing them because the law was, was considered of, of produce and, and farm animals, those kind of things that were the weight of the law. That, that's what you tithed on. And if you remember last week, we talked uh, even more just to unpack what the, the tithe was, that there were a couple different offerings actually in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you begin to put together the offering system or the tithing system. It actually wasn't just 10%. Remember, there was a 10% to, to the Levites, to the priests. There was a 10% to offering to the Lord. And then every three years, there was another 10% that was to get, be given for the widows, the poor, and for those kind of things. And so ultimately, if you divided it in thirds, it was 23.5% every single year you gave to the theocracy to the to the temple to to the lord why it was why did i say theocracy because the old testament is also a form of government but how many of us hear that when you hear tithe you hear old testament tithing you hear 10 percent? that's not true it's significantly amount more that's why when you begin to look at what jesus talks about in the new testament Jesus talks about sacrificial giving. You, you give because of a sacrifice. And what the, the priests were doing here in this text is they were, they were splicing the thing. And Jesus says, look, the tithe, what you're giving is not the major thing. You, you neglect what's, what's most important, and that's mercy, justice, and, and kindness. You're neglecting, and faithfulness, you're neglecting the most important thing for something that's minor. And that's what the Pharisees did, and that's what those who are hypocritical today do. And then in verse 25 and 26, last week we talked about this, that most were concerned with the perception of the outside, but not the rea reality of the heart. Remember the cup was clean on the outside, but the inside the cup was, was nasty. And I use the illustration of anybody that's a coffee drinker has had some uh, a coffee cup that you, you just kind of wash out, and, and, and eventually um, that coffee, if you don't really clean it out, that residue is going to do what? It's going to make new coffee taste bad. Or uh, if you, um, better yet, you can get a good-looking can of Coke, right? But if it's set for years, guess what happens when you pop the thing? It, it, it's it's going to be loud, but it's, it's going to taste nasty. It's going to be flat. So the outside can look what? Re really good, but the inside is what? Not so good. And so that was what was going on. Jesus was saying, here, you guys are hypocrites because you, you make your outside look good. You, you dress right, you, you act right in public, but the inside, there's a heart issue. And so that was the, the five woes leading up to 
this week. And I've titled this sermon, The, the, the Contamination. And the reason I did that is because sin contaminates us. And just this week as I was studying, there's a couple things that, that I'm reminded of is this. I'm old enough to remember um, the, the nuclear meltdown in, in Russia. Some of you remember that, right? Of Chernobyl. Some don't. But those of you who don't, you, you will recognize this. That city and that area is still uninhabitable and will be for another thousand years due to a nuclear meltdown. You go outside there in Chernobyl, everything looks fine. But the ground and everything around it is contaminated. And so what's inside the ground ultimately comes up and affects everything else. That's what sin does. It starts on the inside and it contaminates everything else within us. And so we read our passage of scripture earlier and we're going to look at it now. We're going to divide it into two sections. Verse 27 through 32 is the contamination of inward unholiness. Let's look at our text again. Here's what the Bible says. Uh, our scripture passage says again. Woe to you, uh, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but on inside you are full of bones and the, and the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You, you build the tombs of, uh, of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophets' blood. So you testify against yourself that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your ancestors' sins. There's contamination here in the inwardness, and it causes unholiness. It is unholy. In verses 27 and 28, Jesus is saying, again, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He uses this illustration. You're like whitewashed tombs. And it's a, a reminder of me of, of something. Of, of uh, All of us have been, I'm assuming, at least to a cemetery or by a cemetery, right? If you drive by a National Cemetery down in Chattanooga, you will see nice, whitewashed what? Tombs. The tombs are reminders of what? They're markers of what? Of life, right, that existed. But what's in the ground? Is it life? It's, it's what? It's, it's death. It's, it's, if you, they've been there a while, it's, 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 it's bones. And what Jesus is saying here is this, your life, your outside is like a nice washed, whitewashed tomb. You, you look really good, but what's on the inside is dead bones. You're, you're, you're dead. You're, you're already in the grave. You are death in of yourself. And he says, in, and he goes, but inside full of bones and, and of, that are dead and every kind of impurity. He didn't say some kind of impurity. He said every kind of impurity. And that's something that we need to be reminded of this. 
it doesn't matter the sin. Any sin brings about full impurity of us. It doesn't matter if we lie, if we gossip, or if it's a sexual sin or a drunken sin. All sin is impurity, and all sin makes us impure. We can look good on the outside, right? But on the inside be death. And that's what he was saying. You, you, you religious people, you look really good. But your, your bones walking around. You, you are death literally walking around. Contaminations on the inside, and it can often be hidden. We, we can hide contamination for a little while, but ultimately it comes out. And, and I want to make a, a, a note here with this. So often in our lives, in church life, and and in Christianity, and and in general, we we try to say, well, this is an example of, of someone who's contaminated, or, or somebody who is unholy on the inside but but i'm holy and here's how we do that sometimes we we, we use the, the words of of, of the, the apostle james or the, the the disciple james where he says uh, not apostle but the disciple james out of the book of james where, where james says that that our that our works are evidence of the fruit with inside of us and we'll say look I, i'm doing all kinds of good deeds and, and, and our works are oftentimes and should be acts of what's going on inside of us. But our, our, our works can also be markers of a religious nature of somebody saying, I'm trying to show that on the outside that something's not, not right on the inside, so I'm making myself look really, really good. And so you, so you say, well, man, how do we know if somebody's works are of holiness or of sinfulness? I think the, the marker is really easy, actually. If, if somebody's fruitfulness on the outside is long-going, it is ongoing, it is constant, it, is, it is, doesn't matter the situation, it doesn't matter the pressure of life, they are living out the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't matter what happens. If something bad happens, they still serve with the heart of Christ. It's all about Christ in His glory, not their actions. You can see that it is from, from the Lord. But if somebody serves and it's due to that, you see it because the weight of it is like, man, I've got to continue serving because I don't, I don't feel like I'm holy. I don't feel like I'm good. I don't feel like I've matched something. Then the works are based more upon what? What, what you can do and what you do do. Let me make it even change there. Intellectually, we can do the same thing. We can say, look, I know more than so-and-so. I can spit out all kinds of scripture. I can argue this theologically. But inside be completely dead. I, I've said this multiple times um, in multiple settings, and I'm, I'm going to say it here this morning. I am all for scripture memorization. But more than scripture memorization, I am for application of scripture in somebody's life. Because I have run across many people who can spit out hundreds of verses, but when I say, what does that verse mean? Actually, what does the text actually say? They cannot tell me what the text says. And they are not living out the text. I'll give you an example. 
Most all of us who have grown up in Christianity can spit out John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave us what? Yes, whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. God loved the world so that so that people will have an opportunity to come to Christ. Whosoever is a part that we don't really apply. Because here's the thing, if you and I believe that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, as believers in Christ, we will take that message to to the world so that whosoever has an opportunity to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel. But we, we want to spit out, for God so loved the world that, God, that, that he gave his only son, and, and whoever trusts in him uh, is sa- saved. But there's a problem. Whosoever means that you've got to have a messenger. There's got to be somebody to go speak that. And so you and I got to apply that. So we can spit it out, but do we live it out? And so contamination can be both intellectually, it can be physically. And, and what the thing is that Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, you, you're, you're, you're whitewashed. You look good on the outside, but inside you're impure. And then in, in verse 29 through 32, Jesus says this, What do you scribes and, and Pharisees and hypocrites? You, you build tombs of the prophets and decorate the, the graves of the righteous. And what he's saying here is this. You take your old, the, the old prophets, you take where they're buried, and you make them look really good, and ultimately you're, you're worshiping where they're at and worshiping the things of them, but you were a part of killing them. Your, your people, your clan, who you are, the heart that you have, was a part of killing them. You may not say that you were, but you, you were. Jesus says this. Look at this. What he says here in verse 30. And you say it, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in the shedding of the prophet's blood. We wouldn't have done that if we were there. We make it a, a, a modern day application. My family, I don't know if we ever owned slaves or not. Don't have a clue. But we make statements such as, well, I would not own a slave. Some people will. But the problem is, is, is if you begin to look at their hearts, their hearts have a heart towards slavery and issues that may not be against color, but it may be against something else. And so what, what Jesus is saying, this is, yeah, you, you, you look different right now, you say that right now, but, but your heart is showing something completely different. And so if you were in that day, guess what you would do? Exactly what they did. And that's us. That, that, it's, that's, that's me. And that was a, it's a warning to me is don't say you wouldn't have done that because your heart has tendencies of that. So, so, don't, so, so move away from that. Repent of that. And so what Jesus says here is, is you testify against yourself and your descendants. And so here's the thing. Jesus here connects this, this idea that what's inward ultimately comes out. And unholiness will always come out. Unholiness will always come out because it, it contaminates us. On the other side, guess what happens? The transformation that Paul writes about in, in Romans chapter 12, that if we are transformed, our, our minds are renewed, our hearts are renewed on the inside, guess what will come out? 
the renewing of the mind, of the heart. What we say, how we act, how we respond to things. Jesus doesn't give them that illustration of here's the positive side of it because they are constantly responding negative to every situation that comes apart that if you are not a part of us you are unholy and we are holy what Jesus is telling them is no guys you're the unholy one which brings me to the to the to to the second point this morning the result of the contamination of inward holiness before I get there let me ask a question that I ask every week is uh, are we on the same page are we, are we we good? All right. So in our next section, 33 through 36, Jesus says this to the, to the Pharisees. He says, snakes, brood of vipers, how can you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I'm sending you prophets, sages, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town all the righteous bloodshed on the earth will be charged to you from the blood of, of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah son of Bacara whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar truly I tell you these things will come upon this generation there are results of contamination of inward unholiness here in our text there are passages of scripture this morning Jesus says this he said, snakes and brood of vipers. That's an interesting. That seems to be uh, an overdoing um, something, does it not? Because vipers are what? Snakes, right? So it seems like he's saying, okay, wait a minute. Um, you, you kinda, you're overdoing it. Well, he's not really overdoing it. To understand what's going on here, we need to understand a cultural kind of thing. One of the things that, that snakes um, across the board were seen in this time period and across um, even before this Old Testament, snakes were seen as a uh, representation of evil. Why was it seen as a representation of evil? Because the, the enemy, Satan, became, came to Adam and Eve in what? The form of what? A serpent, a snake. And, and so anytime you see snake, oftentimes and most of the time, it, it's a representation of, of just evil. And so Jesus here is calling them snakes. They would have understood that. They would have understood that... that Jesus was calling them evil. How many of you like to be called evil? Nobody. How many of you would like religious leaders you know to be called evil? Nobody. But Jesus was calling the religious of the religious evil. But he goes a, uh, he goes a little bit further here in that he calls them brood of vipers the word brood there simply means a family of vipers a grouping of of vipers and the interesting thing about vipers this week as i was studying is this vipers were, were not very big snakes they would actually lay in the desert and lay in areas and, and they had the same coloring as much of the wood and much of the, the the little branches and what would happen is they would lay still as if they were sticks and guess what happens when you pick up a viper? It did what? It bit you. Here's the thing. They were deadly. That's why when Paul was bitten by a, a viper, a snake, he didn't die. They thought Paul was what? God. 
It wasn't because because of anything because the snake wasn't poisonous. No vipers are extremely poisonous. You get by, bit by one, you you die. I've been to, to Belize a couple of times, and they have a snake down there called the two-step. The reason it's called the two-step is guess what happens after you've been bitten? You take two steps, and you're, you're dead. They're extremely poisonous. That's the kind of thing that here with the vipers. They are deadly. It's not like a rattlesnake. You get bit, and you know you, you, you got a good chance of living. This is they bite you, and you're, you're dead. Jesus said, I'm not saying you're evil, but what you're saying and who you are has deadly venom in it. Well, that's not fun, is it? Anybody, does that sound fun to anybody? That's not fun at all. Matter of fact, I would be ready to come out swinging if somebody said this. Would you not be? But look at Jesus' next statement to them. It's even more condemning than the first two. How can you escape being condemned to hell? Oh, wow. You've called me a snake and a viper. And now you're saying I don't have any choice but hell. Yep, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Because their heart is already turned. Here's the warning to us. We can't be like this. And when we behave like this, we are just as the Pharisees. And in that, we have the same condemnation. Look, I, I'm just, I, I'm honest with where I'm at and who I am, hell's real. I mean, it's just a reality. And all of us were condemned to hell at birth. And it's only because of the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ that those of us in the room heard the gospel and responded to the gospel. And so we are born in this situation, and God comes to, to redeem us. And when we hear the gospel, we have the opportunity of redemption. Somebody says, well, hell doesn't sound good. It's not good. If I knew that, that my, my running in the road, and there's, there, there's tractor trailers that go down the road all the time, and if I knew running in the road and sitting in the road was, was not safe, I would tell my kids to do what? Don't, don't go in the road, right? Justin, you're going to send your kids in the middle of the road to play? Jamar, are you going to go out on 153 and play? No. <laughs> We're not going to do that. But what do we? But what's greater than that, or what's worse than even death by getting hit by a transfer truck, is guess what? Dying and going to hell. But what we do is we allow our neighbors and our friends to run around 153 or I-75 in the middle of traffic and run around with their arms up and say, Yay, I'm having fun. And they live their lives like that on their way to where? Hell. And we don't warn them. What Jesus is saying is, guys, you, you are a brood of vipers and you're doing that. And he says this as I come to a close. So all the righteous bloodshed, verse 30, 
5. So all the righteous blood shed on the earth. Catch that. All. All means what? All. Yes. Yes, if you didn't hear that one time, I tried to spell all and I said A-W-L instead of A-double-L. So A-double-L is all means all. All the righteous bloodshed on the earth will be charged to, to, to you. From the blood of the righteous Abel, whom Cain killed, to the blood of Zechariah, son of Bacchorah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. As I close, I want to say something about this part of Scripture before we get into practical application and close with the next just a moment. As I read this, Abel, the story of Abel's blood is, is simple because that's Genesis chapter um, 4. But I began to, to research this week in Zechariah, and Zechariah, the son of Bacchorah, was actually uh, the, the Zechariah that wrote the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, the, the prophet Zechariah. The, the problem is in the Old Testament, there is a, a Zechariah who dies um, near the altar, but it is not Zechariah, son of Bacchorah. That Zechariah was a different Zechariah. So it seems like we may have an issue, right? Was Jesus mistaken? Did Jesus ever make a mistake? No. So as I started reading and thinking, oh, who in the world is this? I come across multiple commentaries uh, that, that made light of some something that, that absolutely made sense and was accurate. Is Jesus the divine son of God? So he knows what? Everything. What most commentators were saying, and I absolutely agree with this because Bacara is a is a was a common name. This actually, this Zachariah, son of Bacara, was probably somebody that was executed by the altar in Jesus' lifetime. And Pharisees did something really, really well. You know what they did? They pointed out everybody else's sins, but they cleaned up or hid their sins really, really well. Jesus does something really, really well. What? You know what it is? He points out everybody else's sins and then says, I'm going to die for that. And so when Jesus says here, Zachariah, son of Bacara, you killed between the altar, he would have been like, uh-oh. He knows. All of us have been kids or are kids right now, right? How many of us attempted to do something and have done it but thought we got away with it? Nobody found out. Jamari, you're not the only honest one. Everybody in here should raise their hand. We, we do that, right? We, we, like, we commit something, we do something like, thank the Lord, it's been a month and mom and dad haven't figured it out and I've done that. Or better yet, we, we run a red light. It's been a week. I ain't got a speeding ticket or a red light ticket. Nobody saw me. And all of a sudden, that ticket comes in the mail. Jesus is more than a camera in the sky. Jesus knows the heart and intentions of everything that's happened. And Jesus sees that. Let's just put this in practical application and close.
We've been here for a while. But what I'm convinced of this, the reason we, we have to be here a while is because we need more of this to remove the inward unholiness. We get a lot of hours a week of unholiness and a little bit of this. We need more of this and a lot of little, a lot less unholiness. So here's our application to is whoever's leading in response to come up. Here's our application. Listen to the woes and warnings here. Examine our own hearts. Do we shut the door to the kingdom? Do we work hard at converting people to, to a religion or our thinking? Do we put our commitments on based upon a, a weight meter? Do we major in minors and neglect the most important things? Are we most concerned with our the perception of who we are but not the reality of the heart? Are we really contaminated by inward holiness? Are we snakes and brood of vipers? You look around and the congregation we have here will soon, if not already, is the norm. This side. It's the norm. When I first became a believer 26 years ago, the norm of a Southern Baptist church was a couple hundred. Sunday night crowds ran 80% of the Sunday morning crowd. Now you're lucky to have 5% of the Sunday morning crowd at Sunday night. The reality is, is, is we have missed the warnings that Jesus gave us. And we have built temples and things for ourselves, not for the kingdom of God. And so here's the thing. As I said, as we started this series, church doesn't make you a hypocrite. Who you are on the inside makes you a hypocrite. The church in America, the church in the South, the church in Chattanooga is where it's at. Not because the church as a whole is hypocritical or hypocrite, but those within the body are. We do these things. Woe to us. So, will you examine your heart this morning? Or where you're at, where I'm at, I will examine my heart. I have examined my heart. Let's not be as the Pharisees. Let's hear the woes. Father, we respond in song to, to, your, to your word. Father, it's not, a, it's not a message that's fun. God, I couldn't imagine the anger that comes from the Pharisees here as Jesus was man, just berating them with thing after thing and then calling them the most evilest things that could be called. Father, may we, if we have the word of God brings freedom and redemption. May we not try to convert people to our religion, but may we try to convert people to Jesus Christ. 
so God help us to respond help us to be really honest with ourselves don't let us be like the Pharisees where we get angry when confronted with sin but we actually we become like Peter as Jesus confronted Peter we become broken and repentant so be with us as, as we respond Lord Jesus in your name we pray stands as we respond. There's a couple things, um, a couple options this morning. You can pray and respond to the Word of God where you're at. You can come up front here and, and people will pray with you And if you want to pray alone. If you want to come to Christ, we want you to know Christ loves you and, and Christ is calling you. Um, if you want to be a part of this church, you're, you've been here for a while or whatever you want to join today's a good day to do that every day is a good day to do that but whatever god is doing in your heart may you respond to, to the word when the music fades and all is stripped away and i simply Longing just to breathe something that's a word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. King of endless words, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak. All I have is yours, every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things to 
song Jesus dives what deeper with the inside and so as we sing in closing of that we'll, um, this will be our, our closing prayer our closing offering to the Lord It's all about you, Jesus. 